Welcome, friends. This is Dr. Gracie Christie of the Catholic Association, and I'm pleased to bring you this bonus episode of Conversations with Consequences. Our legal legal, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer, recently joined Timothy Ewell, who is the superintendent of Montana Catholic Schools, on his podcast, Catholic School Matters, and kindly gave us permission to post the full audio here on our podcast feed. Be sure to check out the podcast show notes for the link to Dr. Ewell's podcast. Now, without further ado, here's Andrea and Dr. Yule in a discussion about an extremely important court case that will affect Catholic schools in Montana. Enjoy and be on the lookout for the regular episode of Conversations with Consequences this Friday. My guest now is Andrea Pishadi Bayer. I think I got that mostly right. You did beautifully. That was great. The legal advisor for the Catholic Association. Um, thanks for joining me, Andrea. Oh, it's wonderful to be here with you. So we started connecting via email because your organization, maybe you, wrote the amicus brief in support of the Espinosa case, correct? Yes, and you and uh, a number of your colleagues out in Montana were fantastic in connecting me with beautiful families that are benefiting or have benefited from Catholic schools in the state. So it was great. It's great to finally be talking to you. So let's talk about making sure people understand what an amicus brief is. My understanding is it's sort of like a friend of the court uh, document that supports the legal arguments of one side or the other. Is that correct? Absolutely, it okay. is. And and as you know, you're Latin. Uh, amicus comes from the Latin of, of friend. And the courts are looking for different perspectives. And they invite um, different groups to come in uh, and, and be able to not only expand upon the legal issues, but really help give some texture to the case. In this case, 30 amicus briefs were filed in support of Espinosa and the United States filed a brief also in support. So it's really um, an incredible showing of, of interest and concern. How, what, is that typical of a Supreme Court case, or is that, is that more than usual? You know, it's a good gauge of when a case is a pretty important case for the court and for clarifying a legal issue. Um, normally, you'll get maybe a, a, you can count them on your hand. Um, but when a case is a big deal case, like I believe Espinosa is, you're going to get these kinds of numbers. And this is 30 on both sides? So there were some people for or against? Or... No, right now um, the Espinosa has filed what's called their, their brief on the merits. And so the 30 briefs plus the United States is in support of Espinosa. In November, on November 8th, um, the state, the Montana uh, Department of Revenue. Revenue, is going to be filing their brief in response. And there there will likely be a number of um, amicus briefs in support of their position as well. Okay, very good. So this is part of what you do is you sort of watch the landscape, the legal landscape, and then swoop in and write an amicus brief in support of the cases that you want to support, right? Well, and swooping is beautifully graphic. <laughs> you know, I've a got lot my of arms cases, out right now, swooping. <laughs> it's really, I'm flying. Um, the, uh, a colleague of mine calls me the legal eagle, so I think swooping is a perfect descriptor. Yeah. Um, our, our organization, we filed um, a number of briefs 
where the church really has a stake um, in a case that's involved. And, and some of them have been, one was a case heard in the Supreme Court involving um, pro-life pregnancy centers. And as you know, a lot of um, Catholics and Catholic institutions are supporting mothers facing challenging pregnancies in these centers. Uh, that case, the Supreme Court agreed uh, with our perspective that these um, pregnancy centers shouldn't be forced to promote abortion services that the state had. We've also filed briefs um, in the lower courts of appeals and uh, in support of the court, the Supreme Court hearing cases um, involving Catholic-run foster care and adoption programs. So and how many? So, you know, we're how waiting. Many will you, how many will you write in a typical year? You know, that's a great question. Um, they're pretty intensive uh, because the briefs that that we're contributing are are unique in that they're story briefs. Um, yeah. In addition to legal arguments, we're bringing in kind of a human side of the case and and the amici. The, the people that join our organization are regular people. Um, and so it's sharing their stories on how this case implicates something that's very important to them, either something that they're involved with personally, like um, in this case, parents who have kids in Catholic schools, or something that they benefited. Um, so in the foster care case, we interviewed a number of former foster children that are now adults. And they really wanted to make sure that Catholic foster care placement agencies continue to be able to work in their communities because their lives were changed because of that that offering. So I would say, you know, as far as the numbers question, um, two or three uh, a year is yeah. probably my standard. Um, I wish I could do more, but um, these are these are complicated and important cases that we really want to do right. So um, in this particular case, um, you got involved because, I mean, my guess is, I mean, I guess I haven't asked you this question before, but my guess is, is that you really see this as a significant case that could overturn plain amendments, right? Absolutely. I think it's the case. And I'm, I'm somewhat disappointed that um, a, a couple years ago, the court had the chance to get rid of the Blaine Amendments in a case called Trinity Lutheran. Um, and they the, didn't... That was the, 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 the tire stuff on the playground. The scrap scrap uh, tire recycling program in a, in a, a preschool yeah. playground um, in Missouri. And they didn't quite kind of lay the Blaine Amendments to rest. The Espinosa case is the chance for the court to finally do away with them. And... Um, First, first, as a practicing Catholic and, and as a lawyer defending um, the interests of the Catholic Church and of Catholics in America, um, the, the history, the anti-Catholic history of Blaine Amendments is something that is, you know, it just gets me upset. I'm also a civil rights lawyer by um, experience, and it, it's really an affront to and a fair treatment of Americans, especially uh, people that are what we call religious exercising uh, people, people who religion is an important part of their daily life and their decision making. So it's it's a, a great chance to do away with that and also um, 
to highlight the good that the church, particularly Catholic schools, are are doing for for the country and for for real families. Um, what what do you call in in your in your in the legal world when you try to understand the original intent of the people who framed the law? What do you call that? Well, there's a move when when you're talking about it in, as in constitutional law. Yeah. There is um, originalism yeah. is one of the the words that's thrown about, and the late Justice. Scalia was a big proponent of originalism, and it's looking at the intent of the people. There's also something called textualism, and that's another kind of a way of analyzing the law, and it's looking at the words that are written in the law. What do these words actually mean? Not reading more into it um, in light of what's happened since then. The Blaine case, um, you don't really have to guess. <laughs> as far as what what was going on it's you know it's flat out um anti-catholic bigotry that now is morphing into an anti-religious uh, yeah, discrimination I, I, I know that you don't have to guess when you look at the actual law but in practice i think in the field we we see this sort of well, well there's separation you know like what i always hear is well, there's separation between church and state, and and I always want to say, well, well, I, I I think you're forgetting why there was originally separation of church and state. I mean, there's originally separation of church and state to, to protect the church, not to protect the state from this awful, you know, religion. And it's like, I I don't know. And well, it, and that's that's a really important um, thing to clarify. I think for for most people. First, the notion of separation from church and state wasn't what the founders envisioned. When they came up with what's called the, the two religion clauses, um, one is free exercise and one is the establishment clause. So in, in the Constitution, there is a prohibition at the federal level from establishing a church. So we're not going to have the Church of the United States. Right. And that's really a, a, a pluralism. Um, clause, in my opinion. It's to try to allow for the rich pluralism that really we enjoy today, that there can be right. numerous denominations and, um, you know, Christian and non-Christian, and, and there's this vitality that comes in our religious pluralism. But at the same time, there's this really important part, and that's the individual aspect or collective aspect of freedom of religion. And so when we talk about um, not endorsing an established religion, it's not to say that the country needs to be devoid of religion. The founders really saw that religion, and especially living outward, religion's faith, uh, a person's faith, made the populace more virtuous. It made our yeah. civic society better. And so what we're trying to do is kind of I think now the courts and, and the Supreme Court is really trying to clarify, and, and this last term had um, an important case dealing with uh, a monument, a cross, um, celebrating World War I veterans. And um, our country is made better by the presence of religion. So if, um, if we looked into your crystal ball and said, um, 
the best possible outcome is doing away with all Blaine amendments. But let's go beyond that and say, well, what does that look like? You know, are we talking yeah. about years and years of state level legal battles or is there a way that you see this is the impact that's going to have immediately? You know, Montana's case is a perfect example. Um, the Montana legislature decided that for the good of the residents and the kids especially, it'd be a great thing to allow for greater parental choice in education. And it wasn't, and, and at the same time, they came up with a scholarship uh, tax credit program for people that wanted to support scholarships to private schools. And they also gave tax credits to people that wanted to give money to their public schools. And, and that's something that's somewhat forgotten in, in this case. It's driven at the state level. How are we going to make a better future for our kids? If the Blaine amendments are out of the way, you get that kind of creativity. And the closer you get to the local level, the more precise it can be to address the needs of real families. And so I think what can happen is when when the Blaine amendments, which are at these, you know, state level, 37 states have some kind of Blaine amendment, are taken out of the equation, there's going to be incredible creativity and incredible wins for kids in the U.S. So they would be like immediately, so is, like, would it be, uh, let me just ask this practical question, like, so the Blaine Amendment that's found in the in the Montana and, and you know, in, in fairness, people should know that when we talk about Blaine Amendments, I mean, originating in the what was it, 1850s or, or uh, early 19th century, the, the Montana Constitution was rewritten in 1973. So it's like this is a relic of a relic of a relic, you know, um, that it continues. Uh, would you would you say then immediately that that is sort of deemed unconstitutional at the federal level, and so therefore all the rules have to be rewritten? Yes. I mean, we know that the, the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land, yeah. right? And, and even though there's a great sense of respecting um, state constitutions, no state constitution can be unconstitutional from the federal right. perspective. And so what I, I really think... Um, getting down to kind of brass tacks, if you get rid of these limiting Blaine amendments from the states that have them, there are tons of state legislatures and people that want school choice, that want um, great vitality and participation of religious institutions in you know partnering with the government. If you get rid of the Blaine amendments, you can allow for that. So in the school context, it's going to allow for greater creativity, whether it's vouchers or tax credits. Um, and that helps both recognize parent choice, parental choice in making the best decision for your kid. It also helps public schools because competition is, is the great energizer. Um, and yeah. so there's a, a really great opportunity in the school context, but as we've got more and more social problems that need partnership between local and state governments, faith-based organizations are some of the best partners. So if you get the Blaine Amendments out of the way, 
we're going to see a lot more cooperative work among the church communities and their local and state governments. I think that's a project, though, that needs to be done, which is sort of imagining uh, the landscape without plain amendments. And I don't know if people have really, because I, I, I think the worry people have is, so let's just let's just take Montana. I, I, well, let me say the worry people have is there's going to be endless legal battles um, that that are going to take place on those sort of local or state levels. Um, for instance, so this week, um, I, I, mean, I know this is going to drop probably in November, but um, we're a couple of days before our Catholic teacher days, which we do every other year. Okay, and this year. We uh, contracted with Vax Education Solutions to come in and run our um, event. And so our event is, uh, what, according to the Montana Constitution, it's secular. So we don't have religion topics for the actual Catholic Teacher Day. So people can earn continuing education credits and so forth. Okay. Um, we Schools started submitting title funding requests to their LEAs and they were denied, denied, denied. And we finally were like, why is this being denied? And people said, because you have Catholic in the name. Hmm. Like, it's the most ridiculous thing. And, I, I, you know, I, I'm, well, was, I was on the phone with somebody. I said, did you actually read the schedule, like, to look at the actual mm -hmm. sessions? Because just because Catholic is in the name doesn't mean that it isn't, you know. Well, and you make a really good point, and it's kind of bringing us back to the Trinity Lutheran case. There, they were resurfacing a preschool playground. It wasn't anything dealing, and it was a, a Lutheran church sponsored the preschool. And uh, Justice Chief Justice Roberts at the time said this kind of discrimination, because the, the Lutheran school's um, petition for a grant was denied just because it was right. Lutheran. Right. Um, and Chief Justice Roberts said this kind of discrimination is, quote, odious to our Constitution. It's, a, it's, a, it's treating um, re religious organizations or religious people as second-class citizens. And that's not permissive under the Constitution, and it's not good. It's not sound social policy either. Right. So if teachers want to want to develop a, their professional skills at Catholic teacher formation, they should. And no one would think that that individual choice to benefit is somehow a government endorsement of Catholicism or the Catholic Church becomes, you know, the Church of Montana. Yeah. Um, well, so, so I think you're right to be incensed about it. And I think that this kind of clarification from the Supreme Court is something that um, will benefit not only Montana, but all the other states and the legislatures that are really trying to create kind of more opportunities out there. Yeah. Well, Andrea, um, I, I really appreciate this. This is a good um, piece. I think it's going to fit in with the other um, pieces of this podcast because we're talking about amicus briefs. We even talked about originalism and textualism. That's great. Separation of church and state. And just kind of really giving people a, a sense of what and the plain amendments are and what that would look like. So I'm going to try it again. Andrea Pishati Bayer. Fantastic. From the Catholic Association 
you have a podcast. Do you want to promote your podcast? We do. I, you know, I promote my podcast at every turn. Uh, it's called Conversations with Consequences. We are on Apple Podcasts, Sounds Spotify, really important. wherever you get it. That means if it. you say the wrong it's thing, a, you can get kicked off the show? No, 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 no. It's you just consequential. Oh. Um, the, <laughs> Catholic survivor, no, been, you know. Just keep it's to, been really, no, we don't kick anyone off the show. We just keep recalling people back in. They're like repeat offenders. It's been, it's a super fun podcast. Um, it's really trying to kind of uh, be maybe like fresh air or the view with formation. And you're, um, uh, you're so one of the hosts? I am, I am like the Ed McMahon to one of my colleagues, um, Gracie Christie, Dr. Gracie Christie, who's a medical doctor. And our other colleagues at the Catholic Association, a legislative expert, Maureen Ferguson, and uh, incredible millennial, Ashley yeah. McGuire. So we're hoping to have um, an Espinosa-themed episode as we get closer to oral argument which will likely be either at the end of the year or the beginning of next right. year. Okay. And if you can come on, that would be great. And we'll do it all in Spanish, because you and Gra I'm sure you and Gracie can speak Spanish, right? No, estamos completamente bilingües. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, my Spanish is terrible. But um, I can understand what you're saying. But um, yeah, I was noticing that she grew up in Mexico. Well, Andrea, thanks. Uh, can you hold on the line just a second? I wanted to talk to you one more thing, but... Um, Andrea, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. It was wonderful. Thank you so much.